0: The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. I like to wear my shirts untucked, and I hate wearing shirts that aren't designed to be untucked, wearing untucked. They're long, bulky. It looks like hell. You may think it makes you look casual, but more than likely, it just ends up looking sloppy. That's why Untuck It makes shirts especially designed to be worn untucked. A casual shirt that's not too long, not too short, it's just right. Shirts designed so well, GQ calls them perfection. Untucked shirts are the go-to for any occasion from casual to dressy. And not only do they look good, they feel great. And if you're a woman wishing you can have one of these, well, it now makes shirts for women too. Shirts for her that are casual, versatile, and designed to last. Log on to Untuckit.com and check out all the new arrivals and use the promo code TAFFER for 20% off your entire purchase. You can also visit one of the Untuckets over 25 retail locations across the country. Stop hiding your shirt with your pants and your pants with your shirt. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual and use promo code TAFFER for 20% savings for first-time customers. <laughs> This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about. So stop making excuses and let's get started, because this gets real right
1: now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One. Here's John Taffer.
0: Oh, well, it's Monday morning, October 1st. I hope everybody had a good weekend. I did, and I'm actually jacked. This is a great episode of No Excuses. And before you even get going, I just want to make sure you hit subscribe. You can do so at Apple Podcasts. You can go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app. Make sure you do that, and you'll get new episodes automatically every Tuesday. Also, if you want to be on the show, which I would love it if you are, just send me an email to podcast at johntafford.com. That's podcast at johntafford.com. And you can participate with me in my favorite part of the show, which is talking to the audience. Well, happy October. It is October 1st. I guess summer is very officially over now. It's been a crazy week for me. Earlier this week I got to give the keynote speech at the Harbor Touch Accelerate Conference, which had about ooh, four hundred POS dealers from around the country, and man are they jacked. The economy is cooking, new businesses are opening, they're getting orders like crazy. It was really exciting to be around a whole group of sales organizations from around the country that sell really computer hardware, POS systems, and uh, those of you that were there was really, really a lot of fun. Tonight, when I'm finished with this podcast, I have to fly to New Jersey, and I'm giving a keynote speech at the Wakefern Food Group, which is where a lot of you buy your groceries, Fresh Grocer, Price Right, Shop Right, Dearborn Market. So I fly there tonight, give my speech tomorrow, fly back tomorrow night, go up to my distillery, Frey Ranch in Fallon, Nevada, have a whole planning session with bottles and labels, fly back from Fallon on Wednesday. Thursday, I have to fly to Florida. And then uh, Friday morning, I give the uh, keynote for the Next Star Convention, which is a fascinating organization of about 700 uh, uh, plumber, electrician, and service organizations. I bet you never knew they had an organization around them, did you, Casey?
2: I had no clue, no.
0: It's amazing. It's, it's a trade organization. Uh, plumbers, electricians, and home repair services uh, uh, join this association, and it gives them software, support, technology, all the things they need to, uh, to be better at their business. It's a really neat trade association. Sort of reminds me of the National Restaurant Association which also provides restaurants with a lot of support. But it's a crazy week for me, buddy. I'm logging a lot of hours in the plane this week. So i got to ask everybody a quick question. You know, when I look at what's going on, and it is October 1st, You know, when I look back at a year ago today, this was the day that will forever define my community, Las Vegas, and yet we emerged stronger than ever. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. A year ago today was the Las Vegas Massacre, 58 deaths, 413 people were wounded, 456 were injured, fleeing the carnage. A 64-year-old individual fired roughly, let's see, how many rounds was it? 1,057 shots in 11 minutes. And the massacre was greater than Pulse Nightclub in Orlando, where 50 people died and 53 were wounded. 42 weapons were found, buddy, on on the 32nd floor. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And 20,000 people were at a Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival just having a great time. And what was unbelievable, and I went to the hospital, of course, then, as a lot of people did. And what's unbelievable is every one of those people were shot in the back. And when you think about that, they were all shot running away. I love this city. I am uh, uh, all about Las Vegas. And Nevada, it's a great state and a great place to live. People think there's blinking lights here, but it's a great sense of community. It's a great city. That was one of the toughest days of my life, when your home goes through something that severe. At the same time I went through the sorrow, I've never been more proud of my city, where I live. the people around me, not only the first responders, everybody in this community stepped up. So Las Vegas strong and, and uh, uh vega strong now is Vegas stronger anyway that's, yeah. i had to highlight that being a year ago today and i don't love to bring up depressing topics but this was one freaking nutcase who did this this wasn't an organization it wasn't planned it isn't likely to, to happen again in that type of a way but the fact of the matter is uh, uh it impacted a city so heavily for such a long time and uh this week, Thursday night, is opening day for the Las Vegas Golden Knights, KC and, and I've got to tell you, buddy, if it wasn't for Golden Knights hockey that happened uh, last year, started on October 6th, I'm not sure this city would have recovered as well as it did.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: That's how much sports and hockey uh, meant to this city then. Anyway, I got some fun stories to talk about, buddy. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, so a guy is out fishing in New Zealand and a seal comes out of the water Takes an octopus, flings it at him, and hits him in the head. Sort of like flings it at him. And there's a video online about it. It's pretty incredible. And when I watch the video, I mean, the seal flinging the octopus is a pretty amazing thing. The fact that the seal threw a strike and hit him is also a pretty amazing thing. But to me, the most amazing part of the video, and everybody can see it online, is when the guy looked at his buddy and said, Mate, did that just happen? <laughs> <laughs> so Holly Madison is getting a divorce, and, and uh, uh, that's always a bummer when oh, no. anybody's getting a divorce, and, and, you know, her husband, they got hitched in just 2013, so they've only been married, what, four and a half, five years, and, and you wonder, he married her after she was Hef's girlfriend, so living in a Playboy mansion, going out with Hefner and... You know, you wonder if, if that doesn't create sort of a high expectation in the wife, right, because of the Playboy Mansion, the sexuality around you and everything, right, that she's going to expect sort of a stallion to be her husband. <laughs> or, or maybe after going out with Hef, who was, I think, 194 years old when she was going out with him, maybe anything would have been incredible. You know what I'm saying? That any sexual ability whatsoever would have been over the top. It's interesting, you know, how somebody can uh, uh, marry. A woman who's had such a, a, a powerful sexual background, I'm guessing uh, uh, that had its challenges, wouldn't you think, Casey?
1: Uh, I think so. I, well, it's either the sex or the bank account, right? One of the two. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing, uh, yes, she might have had, uh, uh, yeah, you give one and and you get the other, I guess is the way it works. You know, so Chrissy Teigen is a good friend of mine, and, and she's on my network, of course, on Lip Sync. And I've known Chrissy for a long time. She's actually a big Bar Rescue fan. So we met years ago did some photos together years ago. I can post some online today if anybody wants to see some of the photos we did together. Actually a lot of fun. But Chrissy did an interview, which was really interesting. And I really related to it. She talked about how uncomfortable she is on a red carpet because she was just at the Emmys. And you know, it's interesting, you know, for me, I never thought I'd be a celebrity and a celebrity came late for me in life. And now I find myself walking down red carpets and standing with my wife and posing for pictures and flash bulbs going off everywhere. And Being stared at and the whole celebrity thing is freaking bizarre. I got to tell you, Casey, you know, I'm a bar hospitality business guy and I happen to have a TV show. But it's fascinating to me uh, uh, the pressure that being a celebrity can place on one. I bet. and I get what Chrissy's saying. I mean, it really can be very, very awkward, very, very uncomfortable. You know, I can never just be John. I got to be freaking Taffer all the time. Sometimes, buddy, I don't want to be Taffer. Sometimes I just want to be freaking John. You know what I mean? Do, do, do people stop you and want you to, uh, to tell them about themselves and, you know, be Taffer right now? Oh, no. Some of just say, you know, I want to take a picture of you screaming at me, man. Will you scream at me? I'm in the middle of a restaurant, you know, and they want me to start screaming at them. Some people ask me to throw things at them. It's unbelievable. People think that I just do that. You got to piss me off, Casey. If you don't piss me off, I'm not going to throw anything at you, man. It just doesn't work that way. (laughs) So Starbucks is making significant changes to its company structure. And I want to, have to talk about this for a moment because I don't know if anybody's ever heard the premise of competitive intrusion. Have you ever heard that term, Casey? Never heard of it, no. Well, my company actually got paid for very many years, my consulting company, for creating competitive intrusion business plans. A competitive intrusion would be if, Casey, you have a pizza place okay. and suddenly you hear that there's another pizza place opening across the street, that's competitive intrusion. They're intruding upon your marketplace. They're intruding upon your place of business. They're eroding your customer base. Now, Starbucks doesn't say that. I find it interesting. And, and I love to call out the BS of companies sometimes, and, and I really think this is. So the CEO of Starbucks, Kevin Johnson, said, quote, We must increase the velocity of innovation that is relevant to our customers, inspires our partners, and is meaningful to our business. Okay. Okay. Sounds to me like he's going to be putting more resources against being a better company, right, KC? Where it is increased velocity, increased innovation, increased relevancy to our customers, that means a bigger commitment, right? Next line. It'll entail an undetermined number of layoffs. (laughs) So this is a CEO somehow coming up with a line of BS to justify the fact that he has layoffs. Now, let me lay it on the line. Here's what's going on. Starbucks market share is being greatly eroded, and here's why. Competitors like McDonald's, convenience stores all have quality coffee now, don't they, Casey? You can get a quality cup of coffee almost anywhere now. Yeah. Yeah. So Starbucks created the coffee revolution. Now, McDonald's and everybody jumped on board. So they all have gourmet, high-quality coffees. What happens is the competitors have the coffee, but Starbucks doesn't have the food. And that's what's happening. So as a result, Starbucks coffee sales are being eroded to restaurants, fast food, and convenience stores that sell quality coffee and food. So Starbucks has tried putting in prepared sandwiches and nuked cereals and various things to try to drive a food business from their coffee business, but that's what's going on. So Starbucks is in a very unfortunate market position. They don't have the food product to support their coffee sales, whereas the competitors do. So for that reason, the CEO came up with this line of BS (laughs) that he is going to increase the velocity of innovation. That is relevant to our customers. You know what they're going to do? They're going to try to put food in. But right now, their numbers are down, so they're making cutbacks. And that is competitive intrusion, my friend. And that is what happens when competitive intrusion happens. Great companies anticipate competitive intrusion. And that's what we used to do for a living. That was one of the studies or market reports that my consulting company did for so many years is we would come into a marketplace. If there's going to be competitive intrusion, the minute we know when the opening dates are and what the activities of that competitor are, we do things to offset it. So, for example, I might have you do if a pizza place opened across the street from you, Casey, I might have you do a special Italian festival that month that kicks in two days before they open is high profile discounted products, bigger menu. I would blow out our promotions to cut the legs off of their opening. And that is the whole science of competitive intrusion. If you don't anticipate competitive intrusion and react to it before it happens, it's too late. It must be anticipated, and Starbucks is now reacting rather than anticipating, and that's the price. Employees lose their job because management did not anticipate. There we go, buddy. That's the story of competitive hmm. intrusion in Starbucks. Was I too mean or no? <laughs> no,
1: no I, not, I think I need to buy some Starbucks stock is what I hear.
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, I often thought Starbucks should change the name of their company from Starbucks to Four Bucks. What do you think? <laughs> All right. I don't want to get political. But I want to raise an interesting question. Should there be rules in politics? It's a fascinating question. I mean, and I'm not suggesting that, that, you know, with our new Supreme Court crisis going on, I'm not suggesting that anybody is right or wrong, good or bad, should be nominated or should not be nominated. I want to take all that out of the conversation. I'm asking a simple question. Should there be rules in politics? Now, KC, we have business rules, Mm -hmm. norms. I mean, if you and I agree to something today and and shake hands on it, and it's going to take us a week to draw the papers, you're expecting me to honor my deal, right? Right. We shake hands. So there's certainly business norms that we have, uh, you know, certain patterns of behavior that is normal to us. And if we step out of that behavior, then you don't want to do business with a guy like that, do you? Because he's unpredictable. He's an ass if he steps away from what is reasonable and normal behavior. Even war has rules, Casey, right? Geneva Convention. I mean, there's freaking walls. We hate each other. We're on a battlefield to kill each other, but there's rules. So war has rules. And then when I think about international relations, when you go see the queen, there's rules. When you go to the White House, there's rules. There's protocols. There's ways to do things that are accepted. And then I take a look at politics, and I think to myself, you know, Casey, if I was starting a new company, buddy, And I was hiring 50 new people and I had to lead that company and try to make it successful. I need to create a consensus of support, don't I? If I don't have a bunch of people around me supporting me, a consensus of support, I can't possibly succeed. Well, politics is the same thing. If you want to become president of the United States, once you become president, you have to build a consensus around you. Of people who will support your agendas, your initiatives, no matter what you do in life. If you want to be a leader, in order to achieve anything, you've got to create some kind of a consensus around you of people that will trust you, believe in you, support you, and follow you. What's happened in our political situation is it's gotten so ugly, so divisive, so personal that neither side is capable of building a consensus anymore. So... Few people are going to cross the aisle and fewer and fewer are going to cross the aisle every time. Our president says things that makes it difficult to create a consensus. Even if he does the right thing, saying the wrong thing can hurt consensus. You see, America needs to be one big consensus. We have to share common visions as a people, as a group, as a company. No matter what it is, we have to have consensus. If our politicians get so personal that they can't develop consensus and civil conversation about anything. We are all screwed. Doesn't matter who's right, doesn't matter who's wrong. If we don't have conversation, civility and consensus in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in our political lives, we are screwed. And that's what I see happening this week. I see civility and the chance for conversation and consensus disappearing more and more every day. And that's on both sides. That's on all of us. We have to stop this trend somehow. We gotta stop screaming, we gotta start talking. We gotta stop finding what to disagree on and start to find what to agree on. If we don't do this, KC, we're screwed. Conversation creates solutions. A lack of conversation creates adversity every time. Let's all start talking to each other, unlike they're doing now in Washington. Let's find solutions. Let's find common ground. Without consensus, we all fail. That was a big thing that I saw going on this week that I just wanted to address in a non-political way. Would you agree with that consensus, Casey? I
2: would. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I th- it th- uh, it furthers things along for everybody.
0: It does, man. We got to sit down and freaking talk, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Just like this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if your favorite sandwich in the world is a grilled cheese and mine is a hamburger, I want you to taste my burger, buddy. You know what I'm saying? You might like it too.
1: (laughs) And let's talk about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if I scream and yell at you, you'll never taste a burger and we're screwed. And you're only going to eat that grilled cheese the rest of your life. And, And, you know, that's just not the way it should be. Oh, there's my brain dump for this week. Every once in a while on Bar Rescue, there's an episode that has a family or personal element that really connects with me. Characters Bar, which became Moon Runners, was that. This bar was owned by the Alexander family. Dad's name was Charlie. Mom was Helen. Guy was the son. And Alex uh, was the younger sister. And this was an amazingly emotional Bar Rescue for those of you who have seen it. And I really wanted to reconnect, so I've got Guy Alexander, the owner of Moonrunners, who you've all seen on Bar Rescue, here with me this week. And I'm really eager to not only catch up on how the business is doing, but on how the family is doing after all the struggles they went through when I was there. So I want to welcome my buddy, Guy. How are you, bud?
2: Hey, John. How you doing? Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, my pleasure. You know, I love you and your family, buddy. So first of all, give everybody an update. How's, how's the bar doing?
2: Bars is, is still um, doing tremendous. I mean, sales keep growing year over year. The brand is out there. You know, we, as you know, we have got the food truck out there, so um, things are really good. Um, you know, we, we've, like I said, when you guys walked out, we, we've just taken it and ran with it. And we haven't stopped.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you're an incredible uh, thing for me to see, guy, because you were such a hard worker and such a freaking winner. And you were in almost an untenable situation when I got there, buddy, you know? It was really difficult. And you were the epitome of you know how family interference can hurt a restaurant because you wanted to come through for your mom, right? You wanted to try to come through for your sister. You wanted to come through for the family money that was put in there. And at the end of the day, you couldn't come through for your sister, your mother, and the business at the same time, really. You were stuck, weren't you?
2: It, it was definitely a tough, tough balance, you know, trying to uh, juggle all these balls at one time, um, you know, obviously gets quite frustrating, and any time you deal with family, it, it, it was quite challenging, but I think at the end of the day, I think the ultimate goal was to grow, you know, the business at the time with character's quarters, and then obviously we knew that we were stuck a little bit, and then with family dynamics was quite challenging, you know, but... Um, I think the end result of, you know, you guys coming in, John, Bar Rescue, and, you know, I always tell like it really was, it was like therapy, having someone from the outside in, um, you know, just kind of be able to touch on, on particular things in the restaurant, whether it was, you know, management-related. On top of that, how, how, you know, dealing with, you know, family member as well, because it was quite tumultuous, tumultuous at times with me and her, and it, just, it, it created this vicious cycle internally with the family.
0: Did you hate me that first night when you went home?
2: No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. You know, I think one thing you said to us is when, you know, we're a bunch of Yankees in the South. And, you know, we've got thick skin and we're, we're very blunt people. I, I'd rather be talked to straight than be danced around with. So, you know, I, was, I wasn't mad, but I didn't, you know, again, John, you know, the, 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 it was just this... You didn't know what to expect. Watching, again, being season three, watching season one, season two, and watching some of these experiences, you're going, wow, what is this going to turn out to be? And obviously I was the hothead. That was, you know, that was what was getting portrayed somewhere, And I am, but it's, it's moments. I picked my battles pretty good, you know? So I when I so. left there, I, I did. At first I was, just, I was like, wow, I didn't really sign up to this. You know, like, what is this, what is the rest of the, you know, the week is going to look like for me? Yes. But, I, but I was open-minded. I said, you know, the end, the, end, the end result is that you guys are here to help us, to fix the problems that are internal. And I, I don't think anybody besides someone like yourself could have fixed that because you were straight with us, up front with us, didn't cut any corners. And I think we needed that as a family for someone to say, listen, I don't really know you guys, and here I am, and this is, how I, this is what I see. And these are the problems, and this is how we can fix some of these problems. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen when I leave. But gradually it will get better if you just, you know, you just you open your mind a little bit, open your heart a little bit with these things. And, again, me and my sister, I mean, when you guys left, it wasn't like, you know, things were perfect when you guys left. But I think about communication. That's one thing. Communication was better of, of what we don't like or we like about, the situation, meaning in the restaurant, you know? Because outside, like I said, outside at the restaurant, everything really was good. We just communicated better, me and Alex. And even and you with know my mother, you know, my mother's in and out of the restaurant, not there very much, but she obviously gets brought into it when me and her are fighting, you know? Yeah. So, that was, that was you know, it, it was, uh, like I said, it was a ball of mixed emotions, but I wasn't mad, I wasn't upset, I was a little, like, n- just nervous, you know? I had nerves the whole time leading up to it, and then, you know, it, we settled in, and you know, like I said, I just I mean, never look back with it. You know, I always I, I look at, like, the underdog role. Yeah, I've yep. been underdog my whole life. And to me, it's always just hard work with things. Work hard with things. Don't you know, give up. Unfortunately, you know, I think some of the youth of America needs to learn how to work a little bit harder these days. But, you know, that's a whole mm, other story. But,
0: so what people don't know about Bar Rescue Guy is the whole blindfold process and everything. Tell everybody about that day, where you showed up, what happened, how you were put on the line with your family. <laughs> Tell everybody that story from the inside.
2: You yeah, yeah, so it's 100 legit in that sense. I mean, we were around the corner. We had a hotel where we had to, you know, stay. And we were putting, you know, basically we were, we were putting vans, we put blindfolds on, and saying, "All right, hey, we're gonna go. We're going to go, your characters, right now." Okay, great. So, "Yeah." So now you're driving into, you, know, you, you feel like you're being kidnapped almost. So now you're driving to the to the, to the restaurant, blindfolded. Literally standing, you hear the cars, you know, facing the highway. You hear the cars going by. You, you just, you know, your senses are wide open. And then it's, it's, it's basically okay, guys. You know, like you know, turn around. And it's, 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 it's you know, it's, it's so real at that point.
0: So when you spun around, did you love it instantly? Did it take a second
2: to register? It, 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 it definitely took some time to register because everybody was, you know, we we're like moving on a saloon and. You know, we talked. You know, I I went back to the conversation with the blueprints. That's where I went to right away. When you were talking about the history and the racetrack and the moonshine, so I had an understanding of maybe the direction you were thinking about. But until I turned around and I looked at it, I it, it all just came together. And I can't say particularly at that moment when I turned around what I was actually feeling besides, wow, like this is a new shot. And then when we walked into the place. I mean, you guys just did a tremendous job with everything in there. And I always go off to of, like characters. Like, we have so many more women that come to Boon Runners because it's got such an ambiance. It's just, it's, it's casual. It's, it's friendly. It's just warm. And that, that, that to me, when I walked in, I said, wow. I looked at it. I said, you know, maybe I'll let my own ego get to me with some stuff. You know, again, with characters, I hate well, them. It worked, didn't work, but, like, I was like, and people were like, well, you know, this is very, very sudden. I said, you know, I just think it's going to make some money, and it just made so much sense to where we are and the, the brand. And, like I said, I always tell you, you guys left us with one Moonshine cocktail, you know, the Moon Runner, which I absolutely loved. And uh, we now have, you know, 50 different flavors, Moonshine on tap, Moonshine flight. Like, we just own the brand, you know, so it was just... I was just so, I was so many mixed emotions with the whole process, and more more of them just positive. There really wasn't very much negative. Besides, you know, I always say, John, we sat down at that first hand that first he shook in and went to the back. That was so intense for me. I you know, I i it just you know, that was probably the most intense for that whole process. You know, and you did call me out on like breaking a jet something, a jets class something, which you know, I was like, How did you know that? But you knew more than I thought, John.
0: <laughs> well, I've been doing this for a few years there, buddy. So, you know, it's interesting. When I left, I gave you concept one moonshine drink, a cool still in the corner, right? Nice wood finishes and all of that. Mm-hmm. But But you took what I did and you turned it into something really special. You created an unbelievable moonshine program. You expanded the menu concept, seeing what was working, what wasn't. You didn't act like a Yankee. You stayed with your moon runners, you know, stayed within the concept envelope, so to speak, that we created. And you turned it into a a freaking home run, buddy. So you never thought about changing it. You only thought really about growing it, modifying it. What do you think about people who just, you know, take the sign down the next day that we do and just completely change it or go back?
2: You watch those episodes. What do you think think, you I think it's it's pure craziness. I think you said to trust the process when you left. Nurture it. Grow it. Don't give up on it. And, you know, to watch some of these places um, change the name or change a lot of what what you did um, and not trust the process I think shame on them. Shame on them because there are a lot of people that didn't trust the process that I know aren't doing business anymore. Yeah, and okay, uh, buddy, but you did and, and you got me. a
0: great family guy and you should be really proud of what you've accomplished buddy. You put uh, your I, ego I am, aside. And, you put your ego aside buddy you opened up your brain you let new experiences and new ideas enter you. You embraced it. You took it a step further. You stepped up for your family. You fixed things with with your sister. Uh, uh, I know the respect that you have for your family because I, I communicate with, with Charlie every once in a while. Buddy, you, you are a man worthy of a lot of respect and all the success that you have. And I'm proud to call you my friend,
2: Guy. Well, thank you, John. And, you know, it's certainly reciprocal. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you know, for coming into our our world and um again just, just being straight from day one, being straight. And I think that was uh that was settling for all of us moving moving forward with you know, about to film or, you know, a show, a reality show, you know, in regards to, you know, your business not succeeding. That was you know, again, you did have we did have to swallow some pride in that sense, but at the end of the day we're still we're still doing business, we are growing and uh, you know, relationships are good, you know.
0: Great. Are you guys uh, good from the hurricane? No problems?
2: Yes, yes. We said okay. Just a little bit of water. Restaurant did all right. Truck was fine. We were we thankfully unscathed all, all, you know, all the way around. Family restaurant.
0: Great. Good to hear. Where can everybody find the uh, a restaurant website, Facebook page, that kind of stuff? Give the information yeah, to everybody. To,
2: if you just go to com. that's the website. It has all everything to our Facebook, to our Instagram, our Twitter account. Uh, again, that's com and uh, you know you can keep track of what we're doing you know, each week, each month, each year, and uh, good
0: things are on the rise for sure. Awesome. Buddy, great to talk. Please give give a hug to your mom. Dad, congratulate Alex for me, and we'll talk soon. we
2: Will do. Thanks, John.
0: Take care, guy. Man, I hope you're having a good time. I'm having such a blast. I love talking to you. I love doing my podcast. It's still a little new to me, and it's just a blast. I look forward to it every week. But right now, I want to take care of a little business. You know, the right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You could try posting on job boards, but can you really be sure the right person sees your job? Instead, find a person who will help you grow your business and do that with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover new job opportunities. And 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, with their skills, their interests, even how open they are to new opportunities. So using LinkedIn, your job will be seen by the right people and more of the right people. So hurry to LinkedIn.com slash Taffer and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash Taffer to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash Taffer. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, I am really excited about my guest this week. You know that. I met Bisha about a year ago. He came on board as a new showrunner for Bar Rescue after I had shot about 149 episodes. And I got to tell you, if you think I'm a pain in the ass to make a podcast with, KC, I am one pain in the ass on a television set everything must be real. Nothing can be scripted. Every person must be real. Nothing can be set up. Producers can't have relationships with any of the employees. I mean, I produce a show that's so real that it frustrates producers because they want to know where it's going to protect themselves, right? They want to know that they're getting from A to D and they need to know every stop of the way. That's how they produce. I don't know where I'm going. It's all real. So it's very, very frustrating. My showrunner, Bisha Golub really went through some very frustrating times, and I thought you'd enjoy hearing his view of what it was like walking into Bar Rescue in Season 5. So this will be a fascinating backstage look at really uh, uh, the frustrations of producing a show like Bar Rescue. I'm really excited to have Bisha here today, and I've told him, no holding back. I want to hear everything that he has to say, good and bad. And we'll talk to Bisha as soon as I get back.
2: Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to
0: John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. Introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories, before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your True Price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people pay for the same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Support for No Excuses comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process, which is really cool. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credits to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer far more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com taffer. That's rocketmortgage.com taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030.
1: Tapper's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer.
0: So I want to tell you all an interesting story, and then I'm going to bring the guy out who can tell it from his perspective. I had shot, I guess, 130, 140 episodes of Bar Rescue. I've had three or four different showrunners and people that I've worked with in the show. And over the years, as Bar Rescue has evolved, it's it's, uh, – and it always has been, actually – a very completely real show. And reality TV isn't always so real. It's set up and situations are set up. And the way television works is the television network wants to know exactly what's happening before they invest money in it. They want to know that, you know, this wall is going to turn from yellow to blue and blah, blah, blah. And the problem is when you know what's going to happen beforehand, it's not real. And it doesn't work for Bar Rescue. So Bar Rescue is the only show that is shot in real time that nobody knows what the hell is going to happen in the next minute. Well, last season, we brought in a brand new showrunner by uh, who's who's become a very good friend of mine. Uh, 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 his name is Bisha Golam And Bisha came into this very unique show, Bar Rescue, and took over Showrunner and worked with me last year. And we did how many episodes, Bish? Uh, 20, 20
1: 20 episodes.
0: 20 episodes. Now, we've never had a completely casual conversation because we've always been so busy making TV together. I'd love for you to, to, uh, first of all, Share with the audience a little bit about your background. Bisha has a great television production background and came to Bar Rescue with a huge amount of experience. Tell everybody a little bit about your, your TV background before we talk about your Bar Rescue experience.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I uh, studied school at the University of Arizona. I, I went to radio and TV, and I moved out to L.A., and uh, it was tough going at first. But uh, you know back then, reality TV wasn't around. So I started working in um in uh just a history channel and discovery back then was just starting out in late nineties uh so I was doing a lot of uh you know research and shows that were more you know of history background and then uh once t v uh reality t v came around like two thousand and two Everybody was jumping on the bandwagon, and I did too also. It was a new place to go, and new shows, new you know, world out there that no one knew what to do with. So I started, you know, back then, I started doing The Mole was one of my first shows, which was an ABC show. And then uh, I moved on to, uh, like, The Amazing Race. I did some shows like called The Amazing Race, which obviously is a, you know, a great show. It's been around for a long time. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I did Dancing with the Stars when I first came out uh you know those were some of my early years last comic standing uh was one of my big ones uh i did america's uh next top model for the first season it was uh you know that was again an experience that uh i've never done before and uh you know that's you know be at the forefront of it was uh, pretty amazing um then moving on you know started uh another big show i did was the Finding bigfoot which was did really well uh you know that's gone I mean, you know it's uh, it's a scary thing but uh it did uh, really well. People love Bigfoot. Um, and, uh, you know, then uh, I started uh, move, moving my way, doing more reality-based stuff, uh, docu-series and, and that kind of thing. And I obviously ended up here uh, on Bar Rescue this last year, which has been, uh, has been a great run.
0: So so how does a guy, when you get out of college, So you got out of college, you got your degree, this is what you wanted to do. So this isn't a fluke. You studied for it. This was your plan. How do you get that first gig? And how long did it take you?
1: Uh, it, took me, it took me six years to really get my first gig. I, you know, I moved up to LA.
0: So how did you survive?
1: Uh, I became a waiter and bartender as everybody else does. <laughs> you know, uh, you know I, I had hopes of becoming a writer director as everybody does. Cause you don't know when you're in school, you think everybody can write and everybody can direct. So coming out here, not knowing the business, it's not that easy to direct and it's not that easy to write. It's, it's, it's something you have to be good at. And it's, uh, it is just, isn't it? It's a tough business. So I just started waiting tables to make money, you know, to make money just to be able to live. And you get caught up in it and you get caught up in the Hollywood life and going out and not spending as much time in the TV side of it. And, uh, finally one of my friends who needed a PA, you know, that's where everybody starts out being a production assistant. Yeah. Uh, Asked if I wanted to help him with a show called uh, Sightings, which was a Henry Winkler production that he did about uh, aliens and, you know, the out- outside, the, you know, the world of what we have. And I'm like, sure, I'll do it. You know, and that was it. I was getting paid very, very, very little. But uh, I finally broke in. That's how I broke in. OK, so I'm going to tell the
0: story from my perspective. Then I'm going to ask you to tell yours. So we're starting a season of Bar Rescue, and the network decides we want to make a change in showrunners, that now it's the Paramount Network, not Spike anymore. And they don't want to change Bar Rescue because the show has rated so well over the years, but we want to make it look better. And and they say to me, John, we want to bring in a a new showrunner who you can work with to really bring the show to the next level. So that's what I'm told. I go to a meeting with the network which is unusual because normally uh, this would happen with the production company, right, Bish? It wouldn't happen with the network. And, yeah, yeah, not at all. And I meet with Bish. We have a great talk. And Bisha now I know, is going to come and be the new showrunner for Bar Rescue. So there's a story from my perspective. I've never heard it from yours. Tell us the story from yours.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I get a, I get a call you know, from a, friend, a good friend of mine who works at the network who you know, recommended me for this position because we've, we've done other shows before. So he goes, you know, uh, you know, I want to put, put you up for bar rescue, but, uh, before I do that, I need you to meet with John and make sure you guys click. And he's like, you know, John's good at his job. He's, he's, he's bar rescue. So if you don't pass him, you know, you don't get the show. I'm like, I totally understand. He's like, we have to fly out to meet him. And then I started getting worried because I've never ever, you know, this is the first time I've ever flown out to meet the, you know, the show exec producer and the host of the show. Uh, he's like, you know, he sat me down. And he's like, you know, this is, you know, just be, be yourself and tell them who you are. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. So I, you know, I was uh, stressed all the way there.
0: Rescue? Had you seen a lot of bar rescue before then?
1: You know, I, I watched the bar rescues. I, I did watch a lot of them because I came up, I was obviously bartending and I love the show obviously on that side of it. But again, I didn't know how the show worked and I didn't know there was a lot of things that, uh, obviously, now that I know how things get done, you know, it was definitely a unique experience after the fact. But watching it, I was like, you know, I'd be like very impressed with what you guys can pull off and what you can do. So I was uh, I was definitely excited to come, but I uh, definitely had my worries.
0: So what what were the worries? That's interesting. I mean, so what kind of things do you worry about when you're coming on to a new show like that? And I get it. You know, I'm you know, a bit of a stronger personality than a lot of shows have. I get that. So, so what oh. kind of things did you worry about?
1: Yeah. You know, you know, the, the things that you worry about is like, you just want to be able to work with that person. There's definitely been difficult people that have been on this side, you know, when working with talent, sometimes they can be overbearing and not, you know, be open to ideas, not be able to talk, you know, it's definitely, it's one of those things or, or they're definitely don't want to do anything. Those are situations that you don't want to walk into, you know, after the show has been on for such a long time, the person could be like set in their ways and, I'm not going to do anything or I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to listen to this. Those are some of the worries, because if you do that, then the show, I don't think, you know, evolved and you don't get better with the show. So those are some of the worries that, uh, you know, and again, I being the only person coming into the show, everybody else was there, has been there yeah. for five, six years. Those are, you know, how do you, how do you make changes? How do you work with that?
0: And you're the new guy in a block and everybody's attitude is we know how to do this. You don't to leave us
1: alone. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
0: Okay. So you show up on set. You've met me. We've only spent a couple hours together. We have a few phone calls together as we plan out the season. And there's a lot of people know that watch uh, the show. I've never been to these bars before. I've never met these people before. I believe you've seen some of them before, right? Because you did some scouting before, before the show. So yeah, yeah. We show up for the first episode. Uh, and, and buddy, you can say anything in front of me. You know that you can say I was an yeah, ass. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so share everybody what what that first episode, what that first experience was like for you, because I'm guessing it's a heck of a story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we it was. I think it was Memphis uh, the first episode, and it was. I think it was called Game Time. The show. The uh, the bar. Uh, and you know, John, you showed up on set, and you came into the bar. Everybody. Everybody. You know. Everybody knows how things you know work. And, uh, you know, everybody goes, okay, John shows up on set and he looks at the bar. He's never seen the bar and he tells us, you know, exactly what his vision is. And I'm like, are you sure? Or do we need to give him ideas and stuff like that? He's like, nope, nope. Everybody's like, no, just let him. He's he, he just needs to see it. And that's how it works. So I'm sitting there, obviously the first day before we start shooting anything and you, you come to the bar and it just, you rambled in the sense of for an hour of exactly what you want and where, where everything goes and what should happen and then you go, Bisha. Let's talk. I want to hear, you know, what the what these guys are, uh, you know, what this family is about, or what this bar to these people are. about. And I'm like, okay. Uh, it was, you know, just overwhelming the the imp- amount of information that came out of you to the, you know, to the crew, to from the producers to the art department to the designer of exactly how you wanted it and why why things work that way and why you wanted to be that way. That was the, that was the first thing that kind of. I'm like, okay, uh, do you want any kind of my, imp- in the sense of my input from the vision? I'm like, you're like, nope, isn't this how we, this is my, what I see. So I'm like, great, that's awesome. Uh, and then obviously we went into the trailer and, uh, I filled you in just, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes worth of information, what I, what I knew about the family, what I knew about what was going on in the bar and what were things, some of the things that were wrong that I thought was wrong. And, uh, you know, then you took it away and gave me your feedback of what you think these people, uh, are looking for what they need and how how you can fix it, and uh you know just and then you said let 's get, get going
0: <laughs> and we just did it. How was it normally when you sit in the master control? I mean everybody should picture this you know bees just sitting in this big trailer that travels with us. There's all these big video monitors in front of him. There's audio people to his left. There's uh, uh, the director is to his left telling the cameras to go left, right, wide, get two people, get one people. The story producers are to his left. Bige is sitting in the middle, and and he's running the show and watching it in real time. The most producers know where the show is going, right, Bige? I mean, almost every show you've done, you've known where you're going, right? You might Uh, not know the words they're going to say. But what do you normally know before Bar Rescue when you'd go into a situation like that?
1: Look, and I, this, this, I left off this, you know, when talking to you earlier was when we were in the trailer, you know, you're like, all right, be sh- I have all the information. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, you sure you don't want any more? And you're like, nope, I know. I know what I need to know. And on most shows I worked on, you know, talking to talent and talking to. The people that actually are out there, they want to know exactly where they're going to be standing, where they're going to walk into, what they're going to say. In the sense of almost scripted, uh, and I don't, I don't mean to take that away from any reality show, but a lot of it is set up ahead of time. And that was kind of again, not you know, being there the first day, none of that was set up in the sense of like I didn't have, I didn't know where we were going to go. I know what the story of the family was, but other than that, I didn't know what else to tell you know because that's how it works and uh, you know leaving that trailer going that's all he needs to know was definitely a worry then uh you know went to the control room and obviously john uh you know sat in the car we watched the people and then john went in and from that point on i was uh, pretty amazed at the sense of what happens when you walk in and how it goes without me telling you what to say what to do uh it left left a lot of uh worry in me in the sense of going should i be telling him i i don't i don't think i should be telling him anything because it's, it's turning out to be really good and i end up being really really good the first episode in the sense of like Bisham i'm going in and you went in straight at the dad because he was at fault and you saw that right away and uh you know fireworks went from there you know being in that control room Again, from other shows, you're dictating what's happening. You're telling the director, all right, we need this to happen next. We need this to happen next. Where on this show, it was, John's going here, follow him. Go, go. We need, a, we need a shot of him, you know, talking to him right away. We need another shot of it. But other than that, that was all, that was kind of being directed, the cameras. But, you know, no one else was being directed in the sense of, like I said, other shows, you're telling people where to stand, where to go, what to say. This just didn't happen. And I was, okay, okay, I think it's working. It looks like it's definitely working. And it was, uh, like I said, it was amazing that first episode. It really was. I mean, the network was there. You know, they were watching, like, this is great. This is, this is going to be the best show of the season so far. And it was only the first season, first episode. So that was uh, definitely uh, interesting.
0: What is your, uh, do you have any moments that hit you that are like the most important or, or the most memorable? Is there, like, a worse moment than Bar Rescue, a best moment than Bar Rescue? Now, we bought heads a few times, but never— hundred percent. Okay. Sorry. What, were t- what were the toughest or best moments? Anything you could share with the audience from an insider view? You
1: know, there was, there was a one moment, you know, I think um, there was a father and son. It was, I believe, in Memphis. It was a cigar bar. Yes. And the the son, you know, it was—you uh, know, you had to sit down with them. And, uh, I think the son had wrote, wrote a letter for his father, which we weren't expecting. And, you know, again, you know, we were sitting there and you're talking to these guys and the son pulls out a letter and it was such an emotional letter and that I, you know, I started tearing up and I saw you, you know, in the camera, I saw you tearing up a little bit. And it's not tearing up, but you could feel that definitely there was emotion because the son was telling his father, that he's never had a chance to talk to him and he's never had this moment. This is the moment you brought them together. And it was, like, it was definitely emotional. And, you know, one of those things where I, I, like I said, I didn't expect it, uh, but it was a beautiful moment. I, I appreciate that. And I think they appreciated what you you did for them, bringing them together in a way where you didn't make him do it, but he did it on his own and he wanted to share a more, you know, tell his dad how much he loved him, And that's, you know, you don't think that's going to come out of Bar Rescue, but it came out of Bar Rescue, which is great.
0: We have this ability to connect with them deeper than I bet you ever, you ever expected.
1: Uh, 100%. Like, yeah, I don't see that happening, you know, but it does happen every episode. You know, I'm going to say 90% of the episodes, you connect with them and they connect with you as, as, as people, regular people. Uh, Whereas sometimes, you know, on other shows I've done it's you're a host and they're like, you're doing your job where on this show you're, you're being you and you're being a normal person and you are listening to them and you are, you care for how they feel and you want them to make, you know, to do the right thing. Uh, Whereas like I said, some other shows where you go in and this is what you have to say. So they say just to say it. And the people can tell that they're not saying the real thing. They're just saying someone else wrote a line for them, you know, tell them that you, you know, you, you should, uh, you know, hug your father now. Uh, But, this doesn't happen, and that's why I feel those moments that you do those kind of things on those sh- on the on you know bar rescue that they are the best moments of the show that I I enjoy the most. And even you know when you go in hard and you know you do you you're being you, it's still those are good moments because you're telling the truth to them, and that's where most people don't hear that. And that's even on other reality shows, people don't tell the truth because it's a reality show. We want to get the most out of what we think we want, but here you're telling them the truth because you want them to get better and you want the bar to succeed. And you want these people to actually see what they're doing wrong and see who they are.
0: You know, I never really looked at the show that way. You're right. I'm forcing them to be honest with me. I'm calling them out. If they're not, I'm being honest with them and the show's being honest with its audience. It's a real story of what happened. So really I think honesty, I guess is the centerpiece of what we did. I never quite looked at it in that kind of a way, but I guess it is really. So I've never asked, anybody this question before, Bijan and I have spent a lot of time together. We spent 20 weeks on the road. So we've had some dinners together. We've sat in a control room together. We've spent an awful lot of time together without a camera around. Am I that different on camera? Cause I, sometimes I don't know the answer to this question.
1: Am I? Not, not, not at all. I mean that's, that's the thing about it. It's there's a, you know, there's definitely a finer line, uh, because we're not, I'm never in a situation with you where I'm in charge of a business and I'm, you know, a failing business. That part, uh, obviously, we never get that that part. But other than that, being that, you know talking to you person to person, on dinners and you know hanging out in the control room and in the, in, the, in the RV, it's you are you and you you actually you know sometimes we sit down and we have these moments that you talk to me and I feel like you know we get to know each other and they're just like you inside the bar, and it doesn't change. It's just you you just move that into the bar and you talk to people the same way that you talk to me. So that's, that's uh, yeah, again, it's a, it's a funny thing, but it works.
0: I'm proud of the work we did together, though, buddy, and I think we left everybody in a better place. Don't you agree? Uh,
1: 100, 100%. hundred Like I said, every time I walk out, at the end of the, we leave the bar, we go talk to the, bar t- the owners and everybody that's at the bar, and everybody t- has a thankful thing to say of what we did. You have to be either the remodel, but, you know, have to be, they've noticed things about themselves, they've changed things about themselves, They, you know, like I wasn't this person when we started, and I didn't think this show would affect me, but it affected me. And that's again on a personal level. Also, I didn't think the show would affect me, but it does affect me every episode when I watch it. Sometimes and when I'm sitting there in the control room and I'm seeing what happens, I get affected. And I, like I said, it it makes me feel good when it when it does that. So that's that's one of the you know I'm proud of the show, and I love I love what we've done.
0: Yeah, me too, buddy. So Bisha and I got to do Operation Puerto Rico together, which was a bear. Boy, that was a rough one. But we got to do that episode together. And I want to give you a little update because I had Victor and Janet on my podcast last week and uh, had a great talk with them. I want to give you a little update, Bisha. They're doing awesome.
1: That's great. The bar oh, is yeah. up, how, how? Bar's
0: up about 300%. All the locals Wow. Are- from their greatest times. All the locals are coming. Tourists are coming from the mainland and all over Puerto Rico to see it because of Bar Rescue. Uh, uh, They they paid off that loan on their house with the check we gave them for $12,000, and they're just doing absolutely great. And they feel that the attention that we brought to the island has made a difference and that even the area around them, all those closed businesses are starting to open, and we helped energize a whole community. And we left Louisa, the whole town, in a better place than we got there, buddy. And, you know, I think that's probably our greatest accomplishment together. And I'm guessing you agree.
1: I I agree with you 100%. You know, going down there and seeing the destruction and what what we, you know, what you were able to pull off. uh, You know, what we did in in the amount of time that we had was just, again, it's something that's not doable. But we did it, you know, and I think it turned out to be, well, yeah, I, I would say it probably the best episode that I was involved in, he, you know, in my career in the sense of like, I haven't really done shows that help people it, to, on, a big, on a big scale like that. It was such a big scale. You know, we were there for a long time and we did a lot. And I think that makes me also feel good in the sense of like helping those kids. Those kids were great at the basketball court, at the baseball you know, stadium, <laughs> that, that was amazing. I mean, I literally, those kids at the end of the day came up to me like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Even the parents were like, this is going to help us out so much. You know, there was nothing there. And that, that's, again, an accomplishment that uh, I don't think I'll live, you know, I will live up to again. Yeah.
0: So there's something that the listeners should gain from this story. One is that, that it doesn't come easy. A couple weeks ago, I had Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports on. And Barstool Sports started as a printed newspaper, he used to print it in the morning, get up at five in the morning and go to the subway stations in Boston to hand them out every morning. Worked his ass off on the streets, handing these things out for years. Vichy attended bar and waited tables for six years with a degree in film, waiting for his first opportunity. It doesn't come easy and it doesn't always come fast. But, Vichy, when we're focused and we really want it to happen, it will come eventually. Don't you agree?
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's just working hard and definitely going above and beyond it. It will come to you, just stick with it and it will happen. You just, you just got to work a lot. Of, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from people. A lot of people don't end up working and they just, just, let, just do what they do and that's it. And that's totally fine. But I think, you know, for, you just have to work hard and that's, that's my, uh, that's my note for, uh, for this business. Yeah, me
0: too, buddy. And and, uh, work hard is what we did when we made our 21 episodes. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done together, Beige, and proud of our friendship. And, you know, I just agreed to do 12 more bar rescues. So I got a feeling I'll be seeing you uh, 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 sooner rather than later.
1: All right. That's great. Oh, that's, that's good news. I'm excited. Yeah. I definitely want to go back out there. And, like I said, this has been an experience that, you know, I haven't had. And it's been, like I said, it's been great being out there uh and i i I, I appreciate your help out there and being a a good lead for me and just doing what you do It makes my it makes my my life easier being on out there knowing that you are you know you're an exec producer that knows what they're doing and knows how to get what people need you know that's uh that's definitely uh it helps it helps me you know sleep at night sometimes
0: (laughs) well when anybody watches bar rescue on on the tv listing if you see season six that's one of Bisha's episodes, and we had a heck of a time together. Bisha, it was great having you, buddy, and I hope we gave people a little insight as to how to get into TV and, and you know some of the uh, uh, inside looks at Bar Rescue.
1: I appreciate your time, John. Thanks, man. It'll be good to see you again.
0: Take care, buddy. I hope you're all having as much fun today as I am. I love the beginning of a month. It's filled with such amazing opportunity to grow our businesses, grow our lives. Think about it. You have the whole month of October now to do something better. And I'm particularly excited to introduce the new Square Payroll app, which brings a crucial element to any business's back office to your back pocket. With the Payroll app, employers can manage one of the most important yet complicated aspects of running their business no matter where they are. The payroll app joins Square's ecosystem of mobile tools to make it faster and easier for employees to run and grow their business while on the go. With Square's payroll app, employers can go from sign up to sending pay run in a matter of minutes all within the app. This is really cool, KC. Employers can review time cards. Square even takes care of your tax withholding, payments and filings at no extra cost. Flexible and transparent pricing that scales with your business at just $29 per month plus $5 per employee per month. Search Square Payroll in the Apple iTunes or Google Play app stores to download the app or visit square.com slash go slash Taffer to learn more. Shut so, it down. I want to talk to some of our listeners. So uh, did you get some good uh, letters? Sure did. I sure did. So, John, we've got Jeremy Gray from Columbus, Ohio, who was a huge Bar Rescue fan and is looking to start a Facebook Google AdWorks online agency and needs some advice. So, Jeremy, uh, uh, this is a a new business that you're going into, like sort of a niche business. But, you know, as one who advertises on Facebook and Google and, you know, uses these digital services, uh, uh, there's not a lot of specialists who handle it. So social media agencies sometimes handle it. Ad agencies sort of handle it. But, you know, I don't stumble upon a, a lot of expert firms that really can say to me, we are experts, in Facebook advertising and Google advertising, so I'm very curious. I think you've got an interesting business model that can be successful. Tell me what you want to
2: do. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm really looking to start. I mean, basically an online business like that, where I'm trying to get out of the old nine to five job and have a little more freedom, I guess. And so that one of the things that I've, that I've stumbled upon, and I thought it would be uh, pretty interesting, and seems like it would be it's a good opportunity there. So I just wasn't sure exactly. What kind of steps I should take to to move towards that I guess well,
0: well it is and you know what's interesting about Facebook and Google advertising is is it's it's so succinct it's not abstract at all you know in the old days of print advertising we'd run these ads and we wouldn't know how many people really responded to the ads you know we couldn't track it back today with Facebook and Google you're tracking clicks so everything right. is, is analytical quantifiable, qualifiable so. In that business, you're either successful or you're not. Now, it's the first of the month, so I just got all my social media reports and all my Facebook reports and and, and SEO reports and such from my brands, which I get the first of every month. And I look at all those numbers, and obviously, there's a huge opportunity now. Are you good at this? Uh, uh, Do you really know Facebook advertising and Google advertising well?
2: I can't say that I'm like an expert at it. That's just some kind of something I've looked at and I kind of played around with a little bit, but I'm not. I'm not an expert in it. No.
0: If you're not good at it, you're not going to get any clients. Because how are you going to get your clients? Probably through Facebook advertising, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if I were you, I would go into Facebook and Google. I would find companies that are advertising on those platforms. I would find companies that are advertising not very well that you could make some comments, to that would make them better at it. I would identify those companies that are currently advertising because they have existing budgets and they have a comfort level with advertising on those platforms. I would approach those same very companies after pulling some analytics and stuff on their advertising results, and I would go to them and say, I know you're advertising on Facebook. I know you're advertising this often. I know you're advertising this way. I have a better plan. For the same money, I can affect better results for you. That's a pretty tough pitch to resist. Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: that, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome, buddy. Set up that Facebook page. You know, Put up your services and see what happens. Uh, uh, if you get a great response, then you know you got a good business model. Then start thinking about leaving your job and really making it happen. If you don't get that kind of response, then keep working it until you either see if it's going to work or if you want to move on to something else.
2: Okay, awesome. Uh, thank you so much.
0: All right, John, we've got uh, Crystal in Michigan. Crystal is an owner of two bars and is trying to figure out how to get more bodies through the door. Hi, Crystal. Hello, John. So you have two bars. What Um, kind of bars?
2: I I own uh, two bars that are restaurants, too, as well. I'm trying to find out different ideas to basically create revenue to get people in, to get people in the doors. We had an idea. Okay. We were thinking of having like a karaoke night in there. Would that reach people?
0: Well, let's speak about this for a To generate business in your bar, you have three things. Marketing is only three things. New customer programs, customer frequency programs to get them in more often, and customer spend programs to get them to spend more while they're there. That's all we got. Next. Revenue is a result of two things. How many people are in a room and how much they spend is an average each. So. I would look at your business, and I would say, okay, if we need to pump revenues, we need to do a few things. One, I would look. Do you do lunch right now? Is is, is meal periods important to you? Or are you primarily a bar?
2: Yeah, we are doing. Um, we do lunch. We do breakfast, like sort of like a brunch type thing,
1: uh-huh. and
2: then we have a patio setting where we have it open to the people, and we have live music outside.
0: Great. Do you have a Do you have a state lottery in, in Michigan? An instant lottery? Yes, we do. Okay, let me give you a quick idea. Express Lotto Lunch. Create an express menu okay. with five or six menus I- items on them. Each menu item comes with a salad, an entree, and a tiny little dessert, which is a little c- apple cobbler, a peach cobbler, a tiny little five bite in a ramekin cup type of a pie, and an instant win lottery ticket. Lunch is guaranteed served in 15 minutes. When it's served at your table, you get your little dessert, you get your sandwich, you get your salad, and you get an instant lottery ticket on your plate. Cost the okay. instant lottery win ticket, which will be a dollar, right into the food menu, so you can do it all the time. People order express right. at lunch, they get their lottery ticket, they scratch their ticket, and it's a lot of fun. What will happen is somebody will win $6, $20, $30, uh, 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 and it'll turn into a whole scene. People come, tables four, six, eight, 10. They'll all get their lottery tickets. They'll all scratch them. If somebody wins, they all get excited. When I do express a lot of lunch, my revenue where I do it, and I've done it all over the country, will go up. You ready? About 3,000%. Okay. So that's one thing I would do for lunch. Let's talk happy hour. programs. Okay. Challenging today because we can't discount liquors like we used to. That creates some problems. So we have to do it through food. So what we'll typically do in happy hour programs is we'll discount food, but we'll butler hors d'oeuvres during happy hour. So throughout happy Uh hour, once in a while, a server comes out of the kitchen with one of our burgers cut into eight pieces and everybody gets to taste it. One of our other menu items cut into eight pieces and everybody gets to taste it. So we'll do tastings during happy hour to build happy hour traffic. We'll also put in beer towers, right, the tall beer towers to put at tables. And we'll have tower hours during happy hour, which would do huge money for us. Late night, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different types of promotions for late night. There's contests, there's entertainment, uh, 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 there, there's music, there's all sorts of content uh, 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 formats for promotions. I would look at an operation that, that split it up. For example, karaoke is fine if that works for your age group. I would look at a ladies' night. I would look at a men's night, for example. And I always love okay. telling people this story because I was on the board of NFL Enterprises and I created NFL Sunday Ticket everybody in my cities when I would own my 17 bars would do Monday night football and if they were in Chicago they would promote Chicago Monday night football all day long you'd you'd be p- promoting the Detroit team and so, everybody so was fighting the, everybody would be fighting for the same uh, football crowd on Monday and I did I hate football nice. Mondays and I did a, I hate football Monday's ladies happy hour or ladies' night So while Mm -hmm. everybody else is playing the same damn football game all around the city, I ran a ladies' night called I Hate Football Mondays. I had 200 women at my bar, and I still put the game on TV. (laughs) Wow. So whatever somebody's doing, go in the opposite direction. If everybody's doing Monday night football, do I hate Monday night football? Pack your bar with 200 women, still put the game on, but turn the sound down and play music. If you're a guy and you yeah. want to watch the Lions football game, you want to watch it with his 200 women or 200 men. So that's a simple yeah. football one Here's another one, and then I got to run. Uh, 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 you know, for, for ladies' night, we do very well with diamonds. And this is a promotion okay. I've done for years called Diamonds Are a Girls Best Friend. We'll go to a jewelry store, we'll buy a couple of hundred mm-hmm. half carat cubic zirconiums. They're about a dollar each, princess cut. Then get two real princess cut diamonds. Mix them in the bowl with the fake diamonds. Every Thursday night or Wednesday night during ladies' night, every woman gets to pick a stone out of the bowl and take it home. Smash it with a hammer, doesn't break. Scratch glass, scratch glass. They bring it to the jewelry store and they get a discount for anything in the store. We call it diamonds or a girl's best friend. Here's my suggestion. Okay. Uh, uh, I'd suggest that you go to the nightclubandbar.com website. There's about 100 promotions on that website. I suggest you type in bar promotions. You might even want to go to my website. I sell a book with 50 bar promotions in it. But just saying I'm going to do karaoke because there's younger people in my audience, that's not good enough. You need to target sports or not sports, men or women, older or younger, food or beverage. You really need to think it through farther than that. Do the research. If everybody else is targeting men on Wednesday night, you target ladies. If everybody else is doing sports right. on Monday, you do something else. Find the niche for yourself. Don't go head-to-head with them. Find a spot where you can fit, and then build promotions around those spots. Don't start with the promotion. Start with the research and back into the promotion. Go to those websites. There's a lot of promotions out there, and, and uh, you right. know, with your attitude, I'm sure you'll find something that will work for you.
1: All right. Thank you,
2: John.
0: Nice to talk to you, Crystal. Bye-bye. Well, it's October 1st. It's the beginning of a new month. Let's turn it into something. You know, the beginning of a new month is really exciting. Think of what you could accomplish by the end of this month if you wanted to. This could be the greatest October of your life. So we talked about a lot of things here. There was a lot of inspiration in this week's show. So try to find those things that inspire you, and let's make this a really killer month. October's a great time of the year. Not too hot, not too cold, right in the middle, and we got Halloween around the corner. So I'll talk to you next week between now and then. Make it happen. Shut it down. Shut it
2: down.
1: Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast 1. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on podcast1.com, the Podcast
0: 1 app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review.